Aperture Priority, show number eight, Race to the Bottom. Welcome to the Aperture Priority Podcast, an Avila Studios production where it's all about photography and fun. Now open up that aperture and let some creative light in. Welcome back to Aperture Priority Show number eight. We're slowly creeping up on the Big Ten, and I have today again with me, Mr. Joe Engelbrecht. Hi, Tony. It's good to see you again. Yes, great, great. Uh, we have finally great news on that Nikon mirrorless camera that's coming out, you know. Yeah. It's finally out there, and uh, they did release a little teaser video. I don't know if you got a chance to see it. I, I did. And like everyone else, uh, you know, it was a dark video and it showed the, the, the ring mounting lens mounting mm-hmm. ring of light. And, and it, it, it's proportionately huge compared to the body. And that caused all kinds of speculation. And exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, the specs if that with the patent for the very fast uh, lens, what is that up? A point nine five point nine five point nine five lens, and then there's speculation about uh, creating a um, an adapter so that the old mm-hmm. f lenses could fit on the new body, and there will be a, a new set of lenses. All these things are going to shake out. But the thing I just learned is that they're supposed to make an official announcement August twenty third. Yes, I I saw that last night. I was on there again today. They had a little bit more information. One of the interesting things, and uh, I know they were uh, they were criticized over the years, and they were also praised for keeping the original F mount, right? And, and I believe it was a forty four millimeter opening lens opening. And over the years, when Canon uh, went to their EOS mount, which they went to a bigger opening, because I think Canon, you know, saw like, hey, if we're going to get faster glass, let's make the change now. Yes. And it seemed that that was a great move for them. Why Nikon said, "No, we're we're going to support our lenses, even if it's on an autofocus camera. You could still use them all the way back to like what the mid fifties or so when the F mount yeah. came out." So, so you know that was good and bad about the, both things. But the lens mount, I have heard a lot of crazy rumors. I heard it was going to be fifty five millimeters. I believe uh, I think Canon's is fifty four. Uh, the EOS mount, then the Nikon was going to be 55. Now I'm hearing two other uh, rumors. One is it's actually going to be 65 millimeters. Wow. But uh, last night when I got on the rumor mill, they had a little rendering that somebody put out and they're just speculating the sizes. They drew out the lines and how many millimeters. They actually had it at 73. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> Now, two interesting rumors I have heard is that even though this will be your standard 35 millimeter uh, sensor, sensor, because they don't need that opening that big, that many people are speculating that Nikon may in the future introduce this medium format sensor. Right. The same one that Fuji uses on their GFX. Because the Fuji opening uh, lens, the the mount is sixty five millimeters, mm-hmm. which will take that uh, that size of a sensor. And actually, if 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 you think about that sensor, and I wrote it down, it, 
it's a 44 millimeter by 33 and they call it medium format, but I, I kind of jokingly call it the crop sensor yeah. medium format because I remember the days of six, four, five, right. Or six, six, if you were uh, shooting the Hasselblad and the reason I bring up the Hasselblad, another interesting rumor I heard that they may try to introduce a down the line, they could fit a square sensor in there. I loved shooting the square. The square, yeah. I just loved it. It was a challenge. And uh, I don't know. I, I Again, I don't want to speculate too much. And then you you get the final specs and it's a little <laughs> lens mount. And you're like, oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> exactly. Now, this could be something great for them because they're killing two birds with one stone. Mm-hmm. It's the kind of the one mount to rule them all. Right. It's going to expand with you in the future. And maybe that's what Nikon's been doing. Yeah. Uh, Sony has been the trailblazer and mirrorless camera, but this way, uh, Nikon can just say, Hey, look at us. Yep. They, uh, they, you know, they, they use the same philosophy that Canon's using for their delayed, uh, full, uh, full size sensor mirrorless camera introduction. And that is, we want to get it right. Exactly. And so we're going to do a little bit more research. Well, yeah, that's that's a great a great marketing tool, but you know, Sony got it right, uh, pretty much so. I mean, a lot of professionals have switched over to the Sony platform. Yeah, a lot of video guys too. Yeah, so getting it right, I can understand that. But uh, if you're going to bring out the potential for a medium format in a mirrorless uh, body, now that's would be the next generation. Yes, and and, and if they should keep the same uh, flash pin configuration. Mm-hmm. And so when you get into the system there, you kind of have a pretty much ecosystem, especially if they bring out the adapter. Yeah, of course you'll have an adapter, but you know, Nikon's been around for so long, you know, uh, where Sony has finally got there and they do have more lenses. I know many people are saying, well, gee, they're only going to have maybe three lenses, but, uh, the future, you know, does look pretty bright for them if they get that right and they market it right. And, they actually do come out with it, you know, right. not saying coming next year. I think, you know, uh, yeah. Sony's got a pretty good lead on them. Uh, well, Canon is talking about the, the last I heard with them is that they're supposed to be announcing something in September. Uh, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. The Photokina show. Yeah, is the when Photokina, they would... But then of course there's a Photokina show in May of next year. So maybe That's it's true. The original rumor was that they were going to roll something out first quarter 2019, and that would make more sense. Uh, but getting back to Nikon's mirrorless introduction, I, I've consistently heard they're actually introducing two bodies. Mm-hmm. And that would make sense if they have a uh, a 35 millimeter sensor and a medium format sensor coming out. Now, that would be that would make sense to me. Because I, I can't imagine them coming out with a crop sensor that yeah I they they, they did that and it didn't right didn't fare well for them and I think it goes back to that uh, the product line you know are you going to do a little bit of everything and uh, or simplify it because when it comes to crop sensors I I do have a Fuji uh, XT one and uh, man you know. Fuji's doing it. Why go compete into something? No. Yeah. You might as well just aim a little higher. It's, you, you start having products in everywhere. And and then the other thing is then you have to make 
uh, lenses for crop sensors. Right. And that big, big lens mount does not make any sense for a little one. No. And so everything seems to be pointing towards the uh, full, full crop and or full size and then a maybe even a medium format. That's That could be a game changer in a lot of circles. And what I could tell you about uh, using a mirrorless camera, when you change lenses, that sensor is exposed. Yes. <laughs> so I have a big opening. It's just say, come on, dust. Yeah. Come hit me. Come right. hit me. Uh, we're, we're in uh, central California oh, right now. God, and yes. we're suffering from these wildfires up in the mountains. And I remarked uh, that it looks like we're living on the planet Mars because the sky's red and it's dusty very and nasty. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And you don't want that getting on your sensor. No, no you don't. So uh, for today's show, I, I thought we, we'd add a new, uh, actually it was suggested by you, it was a great idea. Um, had some people from our photo group uh, give us some questions. and Yeah, some mailbag, uh, mail questions, questions about, uh, they wanted to hear the more information about. Yeah, and Angela Eller from Angela Eller Photography, I think that's her uh, official name. Yeah. She had this great question. Uh, is uh, how do I know the sweet spot of a lens? And that's a great uh, question. Well, I take it to mean uh, she's talking about the, the the physical properties of the ability of the lens to produce a sharp image through that mm-hmm. uh, through diffraction. And I remember three or four years ago doing a, a workshop on finding the sweet spot on a lens, and you take a Take take a, a lens and you take it to its minimum aperture and its maximum aperture, and then you, you'll you'll see that it isn't quite as sharp an image as you might expect. It doesn't matter what quality of lens you're talking about; all lenses suffer from this limitation. Just mm-hmm. it's, it's physics. And so I did this workshop and I showed that you know at f twenty two this is the this is the soft. Uh, I had a target, a, a photographic target, and, and the crispness of the image was not there. And so, and then, and then at f two point eight, it wasn't there. But around f seven point one, f eight, it was very, it was crisp. And I had more than one photographer tell me that obviously I hadn't focused in between shots. Mm-hmm. Not the case. It, it, it's an exercise that every uh, every lens that you own, you should go through. Put it, put it on the camera, and shoot a stationary target that has a, a good fo- a, a good focus plane for you. Set it on tripod and set the focus on manual. And the only thing you change is the depth of field, the f stop, mm-hmm. and shoot a series. And then uh, put it on a computer screen and zoom in, and you will see the difference. And you will be able to determine what the sweet spot is in the. Uh, and it varies. Uh, for example, a lot of the professional lenses and the, the, that I've been using, it's around 7.1. That seems to be the, the sweet spot. Mm-hmm. And it's also going to vary uh, if you got a variable zoom. Exactly. So you have to take that in consideration. Yes. I found out that the hard way when I was in uh, taking my photo classes, my photography teacher uh, told me, no, I told the class what to do. 
Mm-hmm. And at the time I bought this Tokina zoom lens at in its day, it was like a vast range of zoom. No one else had that. And I was like, I got to have that. Exactly. Yeah. So he told me, you know, he told the class, I showed it to you. He goes, this is what you do. It was a 14 by 500, right? It was something <laughs> like, oh God, I can't remember. It was, it was huge and heavy. I remember yeah, that. Yeah. So I put it on a tripod and I got either, I tore out a magazine, uh, page or I got the newspaper, put it flush against the wall. Right. And I did the test. Right. And to say the least, I was horrified. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. was like, it was like, wow, the text on the edges is really soft. But then when I stopped down, it's like, oh, okay. And I was really disappointed with that. So I took that, I was, I was still in the, I hadn't had it a week and I took it back to the, it was main drug and I got a different <laughs> lens. I right. was like, Will you guys please take this back? And you're like, why you want it? It's like, it's big and heavy. I want to have something more. And I bought a little bit nicer of a Zoom. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the actually Minolta. This is when I used to use that Minolta X700. Mm-hmm. But I found that I learned a hard way. Variable zooms. Boy, yeah. You, you get and, and as you zoom out, you know, you got to remember when you see that number 3.5 to 5.6. Right. It's going to change. It, it is. Right. So the the answer to the question is uh, every lens has a sweet spot mm-hmm. and you probably should determine that sweet spot for every lens and it's a simple little procedure just yeah. and and I could see that being good information because if you're going to do a portrait and everybody says we'll shoot at f8 yeah but if your sweet spot's at 7.1 then put it at 7.1 right yeah right now it'd be easy to, to uh overstate the problems of these lenses but to the casual eye you can't even tell when you have a, a normal size um, image so i don't want to overemphasize the the softness of the extremes at, at the high aperture and the low aperture but it's there it's there. and if you're really you know if you're trying to get create depth of field like a landscape and the temptation is to push it up to f22 and just understand you're, you're going to get a softer image so you might want to think about focus stacking that image and shooting a series at a lower f-stop and then merging them later in Photoshop with a, a focus stacking feature. Exactly, exactly. I, I ran into diffraction problem and I told my friend this and he was like, no, 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 it, it'd be good. You stop it all the way down. We were doing uh, time shots of getting the water last year when we had all that rain. And I told him, no, because the lens I had went down to six F16. I was doing F11, but I had my uh, neutral density filters, mm-hmm. but I was maxed out. And I still wanted that slower to get right. that nice movement. And so they looked great on the back of the screen. But when I brought them into Lightroom, I noticed like, whoa, this looks really, uh, the trees look funky, you know, yeah. and it's like, it's like it's not sharp but it was on a tripod and i was thinking all these factors and then i said no that's the, the, the fraction yeah if you're around 16 or so that's the answer is uh yeah there is a sweet spot yeah and she had another and great by the way by the way i've done a dozen or two nikon lenses and 7.1 is almost always in the in the mix in the for, mix. for the because you know it's one or two or three stops you can't exactly. tell a difference but 7.1 f8 those are right in the mix yeah and then she had another great uh, uh, question is, when do I use a pop-up flash? And uh, I think the current Nikon I'm using is the first one I've used in a while that didn't have one. Uh, 
I've only used them and I use them. I think it's, the, I think it's a company called Interfit or it's one of those companies that they make this little thing that slides on the flash mount and has a little diffuser. So when you pop up the flash, it's got this nice little curved thing. It's kind of frosted. I think you could enter, mm. uh, change them out. And I've, I've used them, let's say if I'm at a bar and it's low light and you're with friends and you don't want to blast them with that, that little flash sometimes is too harsh. You, you know, we're just joking around and having laughs. You know, you could use that uh, and you get a softer, you know, uh, light. It's, it's always better to get your flash up and higher. But when you're at a bar, you're probably going to hit somebody. That's not a good thing. Uh, but the other <laughs> nice thing I've used that, you know, Wait a minute, uh, what are you doing in a bar anyway with a camera, with the camera? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> they're like, that's what your iPhone's for. What's wrong with exactly. you? Exactly. <laughs> uh, I've, I've used it in macro photography. Uh, if I needed to give it just a, a bit of a, of a fill, uh, when I was up, up all the way up North fork, when I found this little, when my friend pointed out, Hey, that's a little scorpion. And I shot at the problem with the scorpion. He was too much, uh, the coloring, mm. he blended into the wood. So I go, you know what? I'm just going to give it a bit of a pop-up flash, yep. just that little bit. And put that little sheen on him that you could tell, oh, okay, he's looks, you know, there's some a creature re- there. He has some reflectivity. Uh, you know, according to Nikon, you should use the pop-up flash all the time. You know, it's, it's the, mo- it's the best thing in the world. <laughs> uh, fill flash, but, uh, uh, you, you put a lens on your camera that exceeds uh, three or four inches in physical dimension, you're going to get a shadow with that little pop-up flash. So that's you know, yes. pretty much worthless. But I do use, I, I too use uh, a flash, a pop-up flash when I'm photographing small things, just like you said, outdoors in the shade. Uh, small critters, bugs, wildflowers. Uh, I, I, can, I can be standing four, five, six, eight, ten feet away with a 200 millimeter lens and that flash will give it just enough light to make the target, the image that I'm trying to create, stand out from the darker background. Mm-hmm. That is an excellent use for pop-up flash. Yes. Also, if you want to light the eye sockets of a portrait outdoors and you don't happen to have anything yeah. else, you know, yeah, use the pop-up flash. But, man, that should not be your bread and butter go-to. No. The, the only other time I used to use it a lot uh when I used to use my D two hundred all the time, at the time, I would use that to trigger my uh, my Nikon flashes. Your uh, real flashes, yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> but it, the, the the bad thing it was line of sight, so I would always have to flip it around and try to get everything. Yeah. But yeah. At, for Nikon's, what they would call their CLS system, uh, I didn't want to buy a you know the controller just for that. I could do it with the pop up flash, and right. you you go back to the menu and tell it just use it as a trigger and it worked great. Uh, but now everybody's got a radio, but in a pinch, you could use that to trigger an, another flash. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good instrument if you know how to use the tool and when to use it. Absolutely. So, yeah, I know not all cameras have it. Usually your top end cameras don't, but right. sometimes believe it or not, it does in a pinch, you know, it does a good job. Sure. Well, great. So I thought we'd uh, now lead into today's subject and this is a subject that's uh pretty i can't say it's dear to me it's something that i've i've probably six years ago i've uh i've come to a conclusion that uh 
things were changing in the photo world and not just in the photo world, in my other profession, graphic design. And it's what I call the race to the bottom. And what I kind of mean by that, it's about 2007, 2006, right when the economy was going to tank. Mm-hmm. So you had people going out and in, in, I'll just use Costco as an, uh, an example. They would have a kit and I started to meet a lot of photographers that started supplementing uh, their work. And it's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. The issue I kind of had is what they were kind of going in this a little blindly, not doing the research. And what they were charging, it's, it didn't make any sense. Uh, it, it's, well, if you're going to go out and do a $30 portrait, if it, I would try to explain to them, determine your time. You're going to go shoot. You're going to drive. You're going to use gas. You're going to get there. You're going to set up. Then you're going to come back home and you're going to upload them either into Photoshop or Lightroom or whatever. You're going to uh, go in there and, you know, tweak them. You're going to edit them. And a lot of times I think if, if they didn't know what they were doing, they're going to spend a lot of time editing. So determine how much of that $30, if you were to put in an hourly wage, what are you making? Well, you're actually paying the client for the privilege of taking their photograph. Yeah. You know, this, uh, this race to the bottom is, it reminds me, uh, as you described the, the view is that we have these photographers standing on the side of the street with cardboard signs that says, you know, I'll shoot your wedding for $250 or, Mm. you know, I'll, uh, I'll shoot your senior portraits for $50, just really undercutting the the going rate. And uh, the argument goes that uh, this is diluting the, the photographic industry, the photography industry. And, and there's, there's some valid points to be made about that. We are living in an interesting time because if you think about it in photography, there are right now over 8 billion, that's it with a B, 8 billion cameras if you talk about cell phones Mm -hmm. around the world everybody is a photographer now Mm -hmm. and i've noticed that the many people that are are not as interested or concerned about the quality of the image as they used to be uh because there's been such a dilution a Mm -hmm. dilution of the quality i was talking to a, a a young newlywed and they were talking about putting pictures together for their uh, their reception. And so the, the images that they showed me were, um, well, shall we say, they were taking, they were selfies taken in dark rooms without flash. They were blurry. They were substandard by most photo- professional photographic uh, uh, quality. But, they were perfectly happy with them and they wanted to show them off proudly at, at their event, their wedding. So there's, there's two things at work here. There's a, there seems to be a race to the bottom for pricing, but there also seems to be this lowering of standards for expectations of what you actually get. Now, I think that could be said about almost all industries, you know, the technology, exactly. technology that has infected or improved photography. We were just talking about mirrorless. That's going to change our industry, yeah. the techniques and computers and post-processing, you know, the, 
so for people that say, well, this has been going on since the Industrial Revolution, that's true. But the, the, the rate of change has increased dramatically. Oh, yes. I mean, back in the day when you and I were shooting film, um, I didn't spend a lot of time in the dark room with color prints. You know, I, I did I did some black and white quite a bit, but I didn't I didn't do a lot of work with color. I I sent that out most of the time, uh, and so I didn't have to learn a lot of processing skills to work on my images after the shoot. Well, with the advent of Photoshop and digital editing, that's changed. Now the photographer is taking that entire image from acquisition to the print all in the house. They do everything. So that's a big change as well. So what's the answer? I mean, the answer is um, recognizing it as a challenge. If you're an established photographer, you're, you're going to be working in a marketplace. I, I read some blogs, by the way, as uh, we were talking about this uh, subject and I, and there's a, there's a lot of, a lot of buzz on forums about people wringing their hands about, this invasion of low price cheapo photographers. But like any other industry, I suspect that the guy that charges 50 bucks for a senior portrait is going to be out of business in a couple of years because uh, they won't, they certainly won't um, be able to survive because they're actually subsidizing that photo shoot somehow. Exactly. Exactly. The only thing I could think of sometimes either male or female, it's going to be their spouse saying, uh, you bought that thing, you better get out there and do something with it. And, you know, and there may be charging what they charged in their learning. And there's nothing wrong with that. But one thing I would say is learn it. If, if you're going to do something cheap, I would, I would say, let's say if, you, if you're going to go out there and do a $30 job, you're better off doing it for free. And here's why. I guarantee you, it, let's say that person you did the job for, they go show it, show it to their cousin or their neighbor. Like, hey, who is this? Oh, he paid 30 bucks. So let's say after a while you've learned and you now you want to charge more. Right. It's going to be hard to get away from that $30 right. rate. You've poured it in concrete. Exactly. And I think many people are going to try to hold that to you. And if you try to say, well, no, I was doing that when I'm learning. Now I'm charging $150 flat rate fee. People are going to look at you like, wow, you're trying to rip me off. Right. Last year you were only 50 bucks. What's the deal? Exactly. Well, you know, face it, no one can pick up a, a modern digital camera and have a five or six figure income in a year or two. I mean, it, there is a steep learning curve to this profession. Exactly. And I mean, you don't, you don't learn the tools of the trade without some hands-on experience and, you know, being able to think on your feet and, you know, photography is not just about the camera. I would say at least 50% of it, if not more is the business end of it. If you're, if you're going to, if money's going to exchange hands, a significant amount of money is going to exchange hands between the photographer and the client. There's a legal environment. There's a tax environment. There's all these other back office issues that will sink you really quickly if you don't and those those things also have their own overhead and their own time time requirements you know uh we've all heard the the standard joke uh a wedding photographer charges two thousand dollars and so the joke is well you made two thousand dollars in eight hours well that's pretty good wages well of course not how many hours of prep work and how many hours of post editing and how many hours of filling out the forms and all the other back office work that takes into that one day. And, and that's true. And uh, the, the 
every market, every kind of service, every industry has these people entering the market as cheap because that's their only differentiation. And their talent and their skill set will weed them out. They'll, they'll eventually raise their prices or they'll go out of business. Mm-hmm. So in the end, it's really about how we as photographers adapt to the technology and the changes in the marketplace. I mean, I don't do, I don't, my business is different than it was 20 years ago. Very different. And yours is as well. Oh, yes. Yes. I, I found that uh, now I'm trying to get into just the niche market. I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to enter that race around here. Uh, and so I, and, and, and you brought up a good point about the business end that a lot of people don't realize and especially if you're going to be a wedding photographer you're going to be in for a big awakening if you bought your wedding oh my goodness the horror stories i've heard right yes and and then all of a sudden these people you bought the wedding for because you remember they they just can't go rent the tuxedos uh, clean the dresses and invite all the family and friends from out of town again uh you should have insurance and I guarantee you to a T a lot of the photographers that I've had to deal with around here, a don't do not have insurance. Cause well, actually that's B cause a, they never went and got a official business license. They don't have a business license. They don't, you know, and that's fine. If, if you want to be a sole provider and use your name and, and run it through your personal checking account, you can get away with that for a while. But Uncle Sam will finally stick his <laughs> hand out and say, wait a minute. And, yes. you know, the government and the business community is going to intrude their uh, agenda into your little happy photography business sooner or later. Yes. And then there's this other thing that's going to happen. They're going to say, oh, you've been selling prints. Do you have a resale license? Exactly. We're, we, we have some sales tax uh, <laughs> you're due to us. It can be a real nightmare. It and besides, be. think about it. If you're in the photographic uh, photography business because you want to make money and you want to make more money, I mean, at some point, if you're successful, you're visible. And the more visible you are, the, the more you better mind your P's and Q's and make sure your back office insurance taxes all that kind exactly. of stuff exactly business license your uh, your fictitious name all that's been filed your, you know incorporation all those things that uh, photographers most most artists by the way don't have a love they, they don't really have a lot of love for that they don't uh, and that's why people hire business managers right and see the the other thing to consider too it is worth getting insurance. Uh, there are different places you can go to and get a policy for this one reason uh, or two reasons. I'll give you two reasons. Your camera, somebody accidentally knocks it off the tripod when you were setting up a shoot. Well, boom, bang. Uh, you know, let's say we're talking, we, we talked earlier about the Nikon D850. That I believe that's a $3,300 camera. Yes, and that's with uh, without taxes. Yes. <laughs> Speaking so, of taxes. Boom. The other thing is, as they knocked over that camera that was on the tripod, it hit, hit the ring bearer, hurt him. Well, guess now that's a liability. Right. So it is good as a business person, because this is just me and my businessman talking to protect yourself. Because if they try to sue the business is one thing, 
if you have it, we're talking about in your personal account. Well, guess what? Right now, the they have you, access to your 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 personal assets, which includes the home you live in. So it can be real scary. So people are getting into the photography business and a little part time photography and doing little side work. Ah, you know what? That's not a big deal. But if you're if you want to make a living in this, and you yeah. why start with all that baggage and and why not start out free, giving it away, as you say, and, you know, building your portfolio. That's a, that's a reputable way to, to build your, your uh, business and your practice. And then when you're ready, this is going to be my this rate. This is me. This is it. Right. Right. But, uh, you know, that, that's what I've been doing for the last five or six years is consulting with talented people about the, the office, the back end, because without that, they are, uh, exposing themselves to risks they don't even know about. Yes. And, and something that I do, uh, and I've learned this from other photographers, for example, I'll use Angela. Uh, a few years ago, uh, I got called to do a senior portrait and I was going to go up into the Three Rivers area because I had a friend who, uh, who had land there. In the foothills of the Sequoias. Yes. And the Beautiful. river goes right it's right in his backyard yeah. goes through there. And I said, sure. And, uh, I hadn't done a portrait in a while. A lot of the things I had been doing, I, I had a big commercial job to photograph the inside and outside of, uh, homes for this custom builder around here. So, and my other portraits I would do were for business people. So at the time I still had a studio, so they would come into my studio. I would charge for it, but, uh, the reason I would get them in to bring their agents is because it was easier for me to edit my own photos, put them in their thing. So I offered that more as a service. Mm-hmm. I did charge for that, but I incorporated it in the whole print job. It was easier for me to do all that than try to fix their selfies that they would send me. Oh my goodness. And I kid you not, I've gotten more selfies from doctors, lawyers, you name it. It's just, just let me take your picture. I'll give you a good deal print you'll love me later you'll keep coming back to me right so uh i didn't know what the going rate was at the time this is probably i'm gonna say it was five years ago so i called up angela and i said hey what's the going rate and i said this is what i was going to charge and she goes yeah that's you're in the ballpark right the reason i do that i don't want to undercut other people you know i was going to go travel up to three rivers for me from today it's 45 minute drive one way right so i factor in all these things and how i charge and i just i i talk to other photographers so that way you don't get that reputation oh you're undercutting us you kind of keep the ecosystem where everybody can make a living you know right and i think that's it's 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 not that we're trying to gouge people no we have got to remember we we have to live too. And those photographs are the only things, the, those digital image we've taken that we have. I mean, right. we have to make a living with that. So I kind of do that. Uh, if it's something I'm not familiar with, I'll just go, Hey, by the way, what's the going rate? And, and to be honest with me, if somebody said, Hey, I liked your pictures. You took our engagement pictures. Fine. You took her. They talked me into doing a wedding. It's like, okay. When it comes to baby portraits, I'd say, you know, that's not my forte. Here's Angela Ellers. Absolutely. Uh, she does number. beautiful work. Give it to her. I don't want to be that one guy that wants to do everything. If it's something I'm not comfortable with, I'm going to say, hey, go to this person. I know her work. 
I know you like her work. Right. And and I would just be up front with them. When you're up front with clients, they appreciate that. Exactly. I, I know a lot of photographers that have avoided the entire problem by just not shooting people. They just don't yes. do, they, they, they take pictures of pretty things yes. other than people. Yes. So they avoid all that. And I, I can appreciate that. I mean, I've, I've done my fair share of that as well. The, uh, the, the, the bottom line is that there's always going to be new people entering into the industry. They're going to bring uh, cheap prices because they think that's the way they can crack the market. And, and they're, they're right. In a way, that's right. And so we, we photographers that have been around for a while and we're, we're, we're developing our, our niche, that's what's important is that mm-hmm. we can't be all things to everything. Everybody has a camera now. Everybody exactly. is a photographer. But people are still buying quality they're still, and they're paying for it. Right. There's still uh, a lot of customers out there that are buying uh, beautiful images and they're paying some good money for it. What's the difference? Well, the difference is, and most of the time, marketing and the business side of it, getting yes. in front of those people. So you have to be better at what you do. And that's, uh, that's part of the lesson, isn't it? Yes. It's, it's important that you, you know what you're doing. I remember, and I wasn't trying to be mean to this certain individual, a friend of mine with our other friend as a photographer was going to do a wedding. Mm-hmm. And I knew the gear he has. And he told me, I'm going to charge $2,300 or something like that. And I just looked at him. And I didn't say anything. He, he saw me do that look. And he right. like, why'd you give me that look? And I was like, you don't even own a flash. <laughs> but you are a photographer. And I go, do you know how to pose a large group of people? No. So my other friend wanted me to go out one weekend and train him. And I, I, I did not want to do that because there's no way I could train you in a weekend and you're going to go out and do right. a $2,300 job. There's, you can't do that. Right. If, if you're going to do weddings, work with another wedding photographer before you go out on your own. Learn all the things. People say, I don't like their tradition traditional stuff it doesn't matter you have to a you have to communicate with a big group of people mm-hmm. period you got to know how to talk to the bride uh and, you know there's an old saying the bridezilla and her mom is going to be the one you know you're going to yeah you have to know how to talk to people you have right. to know how to pose people right you have to know when to use that flash and it's oh, yeah. I, I can't do that in a weekend because i knew what would happen I, I'd, I'd be kicking back on a weekend and, and I get a phone call with a panicked person on the other end. What did you say for me to do with well, this thing? Yeah, exactly. It's like, uh, uh, turn it off and throw it as far as you can and run, <laughs> run, run. run, run. Uh, I can't, I can't tell you how many phone calls I've gotten from photographers that have gotten themselves in deep water, mm-hmm. uh, because they're trying to shoot people, you know, that bear doesn't care if you take a picture of it or not. You know, that, that wildlife or that scenic landscape is going to stay there. And I've had more than one person call me in a panic about they want an instant fix. Which goes back to the point I was making is that nobody's going to pick up a camera and learn the tool, learn the skill set that it takes to, even if they have the talent, that they, they still you still need to learn the skill set and the, the capabilities of the equipment to know how to achieve the effect you want to achieve. Exactly, exactly. And 
you you have to know how to pose a large group of people. Let's say for uh, uh, wedding photography, if you think you're going to say, "Well, I don't have a flash. I'll just I have a two point eight lens and I'll shoot this whole group at two point eight." It's like uh, one of them will be in focus. Yeah, the one you focus on. Yeah, she'll, she'll hopefully it's the bride. She'll have sharp eyes. Yeah, so there, there's a lot of these nuances that you should learn. And uh, I would, if you want to be, let's say, if you something you want to get into, maybe you can uh, work with a, a, a wedding photographer, either for free or they'll pay you. Because sometimes what I could tell you, and I've done what, uh, two, three, four weddings, I need somebody there with me. To do one by yourself no. is, is a nightmare. It's an inviting disaster. So you could do that. Get your craft up. You know, a lot of weddings, the photographer drives the itinerary, right? Because the photographs are so important. That photographer drives it. You know, we're going to go here and take the group pictures. Then we're going to do mom, mom and the bride over here. And then... Uh, we're gonna we're gonna start the bride walking down the aisle after I've arrived here. So the photographer has a huge role in that wedding, and that is incredibly difficult, if not impossible, with one person. I mean, it can be done. Yep, I've seen professionals do it. They've got three cameras strung around their neck, and they're running around like a like a wild man or woman. So there is so much more to it than just picking up a camera from a Costco yes. kit and announcing to the world you are a photographer, photographer because someone said to you once, you know, you have a good <laughs> <Yes>. eye. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> well, and, you know what? Everybody has a good eye. I'm pretty sure of that. We all have an innate ability. Some of us just have more of it than others. Right. There's a funny story that uh, my photography teacher told me one, Jeff, uh, Jeff Killian. Uh, back when uh, they, they started videotaping weddings too. Well, oh. he learned the photographer had oh, to talk bring to back the video and guy. Sorry. And he was telling me why this is important. Back then, those old uh, VHS or Betamax machines, yes, it would throw out this infrared beam to focus. Right. And he said he came back from his wedding the first time he had to work <laughs> And all the pictures, this is this little red dot. dot. <laughs> so you kind of, as a photographer, yeah, you, you have to know uh, a lot of things. Uh, you know what I did with, uh, when I photographed my friend's uh, wedding last August, even though uh, his wife, her father is he's the Baptist pastor in, uh, oh, uh, not Delano, uh, Dinuba. There's something I learned from my friend Roger. We go to him and say, is it all right? You know, what can we or cannot do? You know, because uh, we don't want to spin on it, uh, step on anybody's toes. So you have to learn the limits of the preacher, priest, or rabbi, whoever. There are certain things they're going to have you do. Right. They say, you can't go here. Don't go there. And some of them will say, please don't use flash when I'm doing the, the ceremony. Yes. So well, you, you yes, have to know that stuff. And see, that's what separates the the wise, experienced photographer from the person that comes into the industry. And that's what separates the wheat from the chaff, so to speak. And getting back to the original question about the race to the bottom, there is a proliferation of cameras 
everybody has a camera, which by the way, as a humorous side, if, if there are 8 billion cameras, this is a really important question, Tony. If there are 8 billion cameras every day, how come we don't have any clear pictures of Bigfoot yet? I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's true. And it's, it's everywhere. It's, uh, I, I see it all the time. Uh, uh, when you asked me, why would you take a, a picture at a bar? i still kind of have that romantic idea having that <laughs> 35 millimeter fast lens where I'm doing street photography yeah. at night. Oh, that's fine. Yeah. But um, then you, you get to the, you pull it out and you're like, I feel so weird. Yeah. People look at you like, what is that? What is yeah. that? Yeah. It's like a rotary phone. And, and then they'll come over and it's like, well, you know, in my new phone, I could do everything. Oh yeah. I can do everything. You know, uh, maybe in an upcoming episode, we should talk about the difference. Why own a DSLR today when you have these very capable, huge megapixel, wonderful uh, Androids and iPhones? And we should we should talk we, about we that. Should, I, I'm going to give you a funny story that just happened to me Wednesday after our photo meeting. Oh, yeah? I went over to my friend Jimmy Allen's house because he, he, he had told me uh, he has a Sony A7. It was the first nice one. And he told me about these white specs mm-hmm. on it. And I'm like, okay. And I'm thinking, okay, it's dust. It's dust. Probably, so I went yeah. over there and uh, he got a cleaning kit. And he had recently a stroke, so he didn't feel you know, his, sure. his hands. So I said, no problem. I'll go over there and I'm going to clean it for you. So I got a YouTube video, found out how to do this. I cleaned it out. I said, okay, it's clean. Then he found the pictures that he was trying to send me, brings up the pictures. And it was like, it was not dust. It was these intermittent white rectangles. And I go, oh, that's the sensor. And it, it happened on each of the last three times he shot. Uh, One picture had, and it was not in the same area. So as we're going through these pictures, as we're going, yeah, that's the Sony. That's the Sony. He also has Nikon. And he came on uh, last fall. They had a family uh portrait done on the outside when everything was nice and i go that's the nikon and he looks down he goes no that's my iphone that's your iphone <laughs> ouch and i was like oh god yeah. <laughs> it was so funny because it, it it looked like a professional family portrait, family portrait yeah and how everything looked i go iphone uh, not iphone i said that was your nikon and it fooled me because yeah so yeah that that is something that is and I think one of the ladies in our group, she does everything, or she's doing more uh, iPhone or uh, cell phone. Promoting it. I'm not sure she's uh, made the switch, but it's an interesting conversation uh, that I'd like to, to explore uh, because, uh, frankly, why should I spend three to $5,000 on a, on a DSLR plus the lenses plus, plus all the lenses? Oh, yes. And then, of course, then you got to buy bags to carry this stuff in. Then you got to buy insurance to cover the stuff. Why not just buy a thousand dollar iPhone ten? Be done with it. Yeah. Well, th- that's the question, and but not to be answered today. And another thing to think about, another thing we should come up. Uh, I think a good subject is now what happens when you walk into a national park with a tripod. Yes. Well, there are places that want to charge you a professional fee because if you're a tripod user, you obviously are a professional. Exactly. So I guess at some point, and there are cities now in California that prohibit yes. you taking a photograph, even with a cell phone, unless you pay a fee for photographic 
a photographic fee. It's uh, is it Laguna Beach that's doing that? Could be, a, yeah. And I know it's happening in Europe, right? It, and if you take a picture, and if you want to do like a, a nice stock photo of the Eiffel Tower, you know, where you're going to put it in the stock photography side. I think in France, if there are people in there, you need a release from every person there, even if or, there's a part of a person. Yes. And it's, 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 that's another thing that's changing, but yeah, that was a good uh, conversation today. I think we had on this race to the bottom and it's something that's been on bugging me for a long time, but I just had to kind of get it off my chest. Sure. You know, and it's just, I'm trying to bring the value so back up. What, what advice would you give to an established photographer in a market that is seeing a proliferation of, of cheap photographers? I mean, we've, we've sort of summarized it or to summarize it, I guess it would be know your business. And exactly. know, and and can't be everything to all people at all times anymore. And exactly. Know your business and know your marketing, uh, and work the advantages that you have. It's like any other industry; you have competitive advantages over these the newbies. Yes. And work your advantages. And another thing, when you do meet with that person and they ask you the thing with price, you tell them flat out. You just say, "Hey." This is why I charge what I charge because this is what you're going to get with me. You have to toot your horn. Right. And, and the second part is too that we in the business need to educate upcoming young, and I don't mean in age, but I mean young to the uh, industry photographers about the realities of how you achieve where we are. And to get there, it isn't necessarily smart always to just use price as your only tool to right. get into the market right great so let's leave it there today and joe where can we find you uh, you can uh, find me on online facebook uh, bright angel images also uh, website www.brightangelimages.com and find me on instagram same same name uh, or bright angel images at gmail.com oh okay great I didn't put your Gmail because sometimes I didn't thought, I thought, oh, well, what if he gets a flood of things, uh, he gets spam. <laughs> well, I got a little filtered out. I, oh, okay. You know, it's not too bad. Okay. Uh, everybody could find me here at the website, avalastudios.com, uh, Tony Avala 64 at Instagram. And now I did make an Aperture Priority podcast Oh, page welcome on to the Facebook. 21st century. Right after we're recording there, that uh, Facebook took a big hit yesterday. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm pretty sure you had all everything to do with that. What was that? The single largest drop in stock in American in Ameri history. In American yes. history, in one day. Oh, fun times! Wow. Were. Yeah, it's a different world. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. Great, everybody, and don't forget to open up that aperture and let that creative light in. Thank you. Aperture Priority is an Avila Studios production. For more information on what Avila Studios has to offer, please visit us on the World Wide Web at avilastudios.com. <laughs>